0: Best-selling author Karen Kingsbury is our guest with her son Tyler Russell. Please stay with us on Personally Speaking. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Losanti. Authors Karen Kingsbury and her son, Tyler Russell, join me now. Karen is a number one New York Times bestselling author with more than 25 million copies of her books in print. She's been recognized by Time Magazine as, quote, queen of inspirational fiction. Karen's son, Tyler Russell, is an author, screenwriter, songwriter, singer, and actor. Karen and Tyler have written a series of books for young readers, And their fourth book in the Baxter Family Children's Story series is called Adventure Awaits. They're here with us today to talk about that, writing Christ-centered fiction, and the message they want to get across to young readers, that although growing up is tough, the Lord and family and friends will be there to help guide them. Joining me now, I'm very pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking authors Karen Kingsbury and Tyler Russell. We are here with Karen and with Tyler. We're talking about their great book called Adventure Weights. And uh, I'm going to start with a more generic question, though. We'll get back to this in a little bit. Karen, if you Google your name, uh, obviously, we've heard about your 25, 35 million books sold. But they always say the Christian novelist. So I got to ask the question, what makes a Christian novelist a Christian novelist?
1: (laughs) Great question. I I feel like um, I'm a Christian and I write novels, so I guess (laughs) it makes me a Christian novelist. The difference I think for me is that I, I really have to go. Okay. So when, when, when people write a novel and they're not thinking about faith in any way, then they're writing one that includes the physical intellectual and emotional aspects of a story. Right. But when I write a story, it's got the physical intellectual emotional and spiritual you know, that's, this is, I mean, with, with books like Adventure Awaits, like a children's book like this, it's faith and family and and great character lessons, that kind of thing. When I'm writing a book for adults, I don't shy away from the fact that some people are running away from God, you know, some are running to work. I just include it. It's woven into the fabric of who they are. And I think it makes a deeper book.
0: Yeah. I, I just, I wondered if, uh, uh, when I read things about you like that, if people are boxing you in, like uh, Nicholas Sparks has been on our show a bunch of times, and uh, certainly he comes out of a cultural reference of being a, a practicing Catholic, but I rarely see anyone say the Catholic novelist Nicholas Sparks. So what you are is a writer and a great writer, and uh, and I love that you bring in dimensions of Christian living, but uh, I don't want to see you... Uh, Uh, marginalized by anybody. A great writer is a great writer. If she happens to be a great Christian, that's wonderful. But uh now, Tyler, your loaded question. That was mom's first loaded question. Mine has nothing to do with writing, but come on, exposed to the world. Great writer, Karen is, but what kind of mom was she?
1: (laughs) Yes. Uh
2: well, she was an amazing mom. I mean, I I learned so much from her about life and how to love people and um her and my dad were always great hosts. You know, they were so good with hospitality and I think Mm. they've had a couple dozen people live with them through various seasons of life and they're so generous and so kind. And, and, um, knowing how much work she had when I was growing up, she was always working on a book or going to a women's conference or, but I never felt like I took the back seat. I never felt like she brushed me or my siblings aside or that she, um, prioritized her work. It, there was always, you know, Saturday, you have a soccer game and we're going to be there no matter what. And I always felt uh, championed, And I think it was a lesson for me that no matter how busy things get or how, um, many opportunities you might have with work, there's always time to put the people you love first. And so that was a huge lesson that I took away from growing up with her.
0: That's a good answer, Tyler. I like that. And Karen, I'm just wondering, did you give serious thought with your husband to, uh, I have these ambitions. There are things I want to accomplish. Uh, children are are demanding and taking a lot of time and energy. Uh, you didn't have any question, right, about raising a family. You knew that's what you wanted.
1: You know, we we were one of those funny couples. We had a really funny start Um we got married. And we, first of all, he was the one that kind of led me to an understanding of a relationship with Jesus and just having that faith. And so when we got married, we, we lived in a garage. We actually lived in a garage apartment. It wasn't even an apartment <laughs> windows <Wow. laughs> barely had a door and uh, we weren't thinking about a family. And then the like really it was just a total surprise when we got pregnant with our first child. And that started this just adventure, really adventure awaits like the book <laughs> of, um, you know, three biological kids, three that we adopted from Haiti. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was just like, we, we loved every minute of raising a big family. It was um not what we expected and everything we dreamed.
0: Yeah. I know that one of the children, one of your own biological children faced the surgery early on in his life. And I guess, Karen, what I'm wondering about is so often when things happen to people's kids, uh, some people get strengthened and they put all their trust in God. But other people, understandably, I think, go through a thing like, hey, I'm one of the good guys and I'm trying to raise a family. And, and Lord, you're in charge of the whole universe. I, I don't want to see my child go through surgery. I don't want to see a life-threatening thing happen to my child. Did you ever, at the knowledge that your child uh, had to face surgery early in life, Did you go through a period of questioning God or being a little bit ticked off at God for allowing it to happen?
1: I mean, I think there's like that first reaction of like, what, how how could this be us? How could this happen? But it was almost like the other, the opposite where, you know, I had to cling to the rock that was higher than me. Like there, you know, there's that scene where the disciples are talking to Jesus and everyone is leaving and they're like, well, we're not staying with this guy. People are just leaving in, in droves around him. And, and he looks at them and says, well, what about you? And they're like, well, where would we go? You know, so I think, you know, it's John 16, that says in this world, you will have trouble, yeah. but be of good cheer for I've already overcome the world. And that hope was really what got us through. And and he didn't even have a 50% chance of making it. Wow. And he's six five and, you know, athletic and totally healthy today. So I'm, I'm glad I trust.
0: Him. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. Tyler, let me ask you a question. This uh, look. The whole series is wonderful. You're aiming at young people with books like this. But as a young person, relatively speaking yourself, Tyler... Um, You know, and I know that uh, young people around the world are addicted at the moment to their gadgets. I often tell the story that I went to my sister's house for Thanksgiving, and I came a little late, and I thought they were all heads bowed and praying, and instead they were all on their phones, you know, texting away. And it was reminded to me of what kind of control Uh gadgets have. How is it possible to get young people to move from gadgets to reading a really good book? I
2: think it's a great question. I think that It kind of starts with the adults, right? The adults buy them for the, Mm -hmm. for the students. And, uh, growing up, we always had, you know, at least once a week, a time of reading out loud. And so mom would get us all together and she would read out loud. And I think that that it it helps grow imagination. It helps grow understanding and language. And so that's a great way to introduce it. If maybe you're looking for a way to get your kids gadgets out of their hand, just spend an hour every week reading out loud to your, to your student. And then, um, even just making reading exciting, you know, there's there uh, we had a comment yesterday, we went on Facebook Live and someone said that their niece lives in the big city and doesn't really get to explore the country very much. But reading books like Adventure Waits lets -hmm. her escape into a world that she's not familiar with. And even for students who may be um, don't have a great family situations. They get to read about a family that they can be a part of for you know for however many pages they get to read this for. So I think it's about escaping and using your imagination and and looking at um, the adventures that they go through and feeling like you can link arms with them and and tag along with them. So I think it starts with the adults and and making it exciting and letting them know that reading isn't boring. It's not homework
0: right, but that there's right. value in it. yeah, okay.
1: It has to be cultivated, I agree.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And I'm afraid that kids are losing a sense of that. I mean, if I give uh grandnieces and grandnephews a, a book, it's like, wow, what's this? You know, uh, <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think what's really cool about um the Baxter family
2: children is I think it's I think it's amazing that all of their stories revolve around things outside or things that aren't, you know, they they don't have this is sort of a prequel series. And so it, it's a little, we don't date it in the book, but it's set mm-hmm. in a time before you were addicted to gadgets. And so right. I, I know gadgets. Yeah. So I think, <laughs> I think kids even reading about it, they get to see, Oh, they went out and explored and built a fort outside of their home, or they, they did different things that um, you don't often
0: hear kids doing today. So I think it, it cultivates an excitement to want to do those things as well. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to faith and passing on faith through experiences like reading. But Karen, when you and your husband, who love your God, had these now six children in your home, a lot of parents and grandparents watch and listen to a show like this, and they're all asking the same thing. I want to pass faith on to my kids. I'm just not sure how. Is there stuff that you tried that was effective in terms of getting your kids to take an interest in the things of God?
1: You know, it was just immersive. and um, we We... Actually, like we, we tried our best to live it. We certainly didn't do that perfectly, but we have scriptures on our walls. And we would, when kids came to us with any kind of issue or problem, God became a part of that solution, even to the degree of just, you know, whispering the name of Jesus when you're scared. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember a time when Austin, the one who had heart surgery and he was about three and a half, he was very sickly initially in his life and he got a very high fever and he was, he was super sick. We took him to the hospital and uh, in the emergency room, they were working over him and they thought he was having a seizure, but what he was actually doing is he was singing in delirious state. He was singing, don't be afraid. Jesus is with you. Don't wow. be afraid. <laughs> so, you know, it was like, we yeah. made it fun. We, we talked about, but it was a fun adventure of faith that we all were on and we were on it together. We didn't tell our kids you know, don't go do drugs. Don't go party. Don't go. They just didn't because we weren't and we were having a great time. And I think that's a big part of it is, you know, making it fun. We had a lot of family meetings. (laughs) You know, Not sure. They were always like the the people like, what, why are we having a family meeting? What happened? But it was, it was like, we connected, we listened. I think listening to your kids, you can't just preach at them. You have to listen. What what are they going through? Super important.
0: Now, how well Karen, do you and your husband uh, avoid the, one of the great dangers in parenting, my parishioners tell me is uh, kind of practicing what you preach. Um, did your kids ever find that you were out of step with what you said in terms of what you did? Actually, maybe Tyler's the one to ask that about. <laughs> yeah, really. yeah no, we, we, I think <laughs> they were, yeah, I think that, I think, you know, you know
2: that they're not perfect. I think that you see that even as as an adult, you, you see how much your parents just love you and they're trying their best and they're, it's mm-hmm. trial and error every, every day. You know, my mom used to say, you know, when, when I was in high school, she would say, well, we've never parented children this age before. And we're learning just like, you know, every day." and (laughs) I think there was grace for that. I will say that they, um, they made this pact or or a promise to each other that was well known in our family, that they would never disagree in front of us or argue in front of us. And if they had something to say that, you know, was not in agreement with each other, they would step into the other room. Okay. Or they would have that conversation away from us until they got on the same page. We always knew that they were a team. And so if mom said I couldn't go out on Friday night, I couldn't go to dad and ask him because he would just say, well, what did your mom say? We're a team. So I think knowing that they were working together and that they were going to create an atmosphere where they wouldn't argue or raise their voice in front of us, but that they would, um, they, they always waited. Right. So if, if I got in trouble for something, they would say, well, we'll deal with this later tonight. And that would give them and me time to think about what I did. <laughs> and they didn't react out of emotion. But so I, I think there was lots of clear communication. Well, um, was it perfect? No, but it was it was
0: always communicated and respectful. OK, now I have to have to follow a question. Tyler, when you got in trouble, what kind of trouble was it? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Repeat that one more time. Yeah, I said when you got in trouble, Tyler, what kind of trouble were you in? Very rarely.
1: Tyler, like, <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story about Tyler. So he's he was in our initial, you know, three children that we had. He was birth order. He was middle child. Okay. He kind of comes across as an oldest. Now he's the oldest of five brothers. So that makes sense. But when he was that middle child, Tyler would step in and try to take the punishment for other kids, especially Kelsey. Wow. The oldest, We our only daughter. She was feisty and she had a little bit of a strong will. Mm. And she, would, she ran late. I remember one time she was running late. Um, that way too many times. And we said, you can't drive. Like you're not going to be able to drive for three weeks. You can't use the car. She was 16, 17. And Tyler was saying, give her grace. Give her (laughs) grace. grace." So this is, yeah, he, he probably got in trouble the least out of anybody, honestly.
0: (laughs) Isn't that great All right. Now let's talk about this mother-son relationship. Karen and Tyler write these books together and and they're wonderful, but uh, my mom, who's 101, she lives with me, um, I love her to death, but I can't imagine working cooperatively on anything with her. And as a writer myself for many years, I I, I write in a solitary way. So how do two people, uh, especially a mother and a son, find a peaceful way to write effectively together? Is one the writer and one's the editor or are both doing the writing and then coming together with this is what I have? What do you have? How does this work?
1: Well, we kind of get together initially with an outline that's collaborative and we make sure we love the outline. Tyler then takes and writes the first draft. So that's very solitary for him. Just Mm -hmm. He finds a good coffee shop or somewhere at his house and and he writes that. And then I get the book and I get to do like a next layer, like Mm -hmm. an edit over it. Um, You know, we just bringing the pieces together in the way the Baxter family would would normally go or whatever that just polish on it. Mm Then we get together and look at it again, and uh, we get to go through the editorial process with our team at Simon and Schuster, the Paula Weisman team, Um, and then and yeah, we we really just we love this is probably where it comes back to being the most collaborative is from the very beginning, the outline. And then when we're having a release it to God day, like this is, and like let the whole world, you know, have this book, we get to do this together. Um, mm-hmm. But we did some screenwriting together as well. And that's, that's more collaborative where we're both at the same table working on a shared document. And, uh, and just, you need two people for that. And it's, it's a really amazing
0: process, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, Tyler, did you wanna to add to that at all about the process?
1: Yeah, It's, you know, they, our connection's a little bad. We're having a really bad storm. Okay, sure.
0: Let me try but, again. Uh, Tyler, what your mom was just saying about uh, the way in which you work together, do you find it effective? Yes, I
2: do. I think that that process is really effective. When I started, I had definitely a learning curve. I came okay. in, you know, feeling like I knew everything. And, uh, <laughs> and I was humbled very quickly because she's been doing this much longer than I have. So I think with any team, Um, You have to put your ego aside and you have to be willing to serve the story uh, that God gave us. And so I think it always comes back to, we want what's best for the story. And if her idea is better, I'm going to say, sure, let's go for it. And if I think I have an idea that's a bit stronger, I'll push for it. But I do think that the way we work, it gives us both space to work on it. And since she's doing additional novels outside of these books, um, it gives her time to work on those. And then I can hand her sort of a rough, first draft a
1: very good first draft Yes, over the years like this is book four together the first one I was like okay we're gonna have a little bit of work here (laughs) (laughs) but he has really gotten so much better and the whole reason I brought him in is I knew he was a strong writer and I had so many other things I was working on and so I needed it's like they said what do you think about doing you know Going back in time and doing the Baxter family when they were kids, I said, "What do I think about needing an extra writer?" Is what I think. So yeah. called Tyler in, and now it's just been fantastic, and we're we're so excited. We'll have one more coming out that we know of at least next year at this time. So we're already okay. working on that one.
0: Tyler, I'm one of uh, three children, as you are, uh, in an, the original family, and I'm the middle child too. But I'm wondering, I don't know that I would have uh, embraced and loved the idea of our lives being upended if my mom and dad had brought in three kids from another country uh, with obviously uh, lots of challenges that they're going to face in making the adjustment. And here we are, the three of us, the biological children, and, and we're the center of the universe until we're, we're going to share that universe. How did you react to mom and dad making this decision to with great Christian charity, bring three kids anew into the family? Mhm that's a really good question. Yeah. I think that the decision was not one that they made
2: without us. And so I think mm-hmm. that that helped. They opened up a conversation and they sat us all down and they said this is what we're praying about, this is what we feel like the Lord has put on our hearts. And how would you feel? And I was I I had no objections to it. I, I thought that that sounded exciting. Mm-hmm. Um sounded like it would I mean I was only 9 or, t- or 10 I think. So yeah,
1: even But like, I yeah. I I
2: knew the concept of how it would bless those children and um it just felt right and so um there wasn't really much pushback from Austin or Kelsey either. No, really we just was... took
1: a vote. We said we, we said it's unanimous or not at all.
2: And wow. uh okay.
1: you know they they all three Chris Austin was like 2 or 3
2: years old so he was just like
1: brothers you know. <laughs> Kelsey
2: wanted to be the only girl. <laughs> yeah, Kelsey wanted to be here.
1: she's like I didn't get a sister so I'm good just me and mom That's, Yeah, we go shopping and have our fun times and coffee so But it was just yeah.
2: amazing. I mean as soon as they as soon as they came into our lives, it felt like they were always there mm-hmm. and we had lots of fun, you know, learning curves with learning, you know, they had to learn English and mm-hmm. we had a translator live with us for the first you know, week or so. And then after that, it was just a lot of hand motions and trying to understand <laughs> what certain things mean. And, and they were really beautiful times growing up and just getting to grow our family to the number that felt like it was supposed to be.
0: Yeah. Well, this is a, a sensitive question, but one I'm sure folks listening and watching would ask. Um, we're living in an America where we're, you know, grappling with our racial divides still. Um so so Karen, you have these uh, three very, very white children first, and then you bring three very, very black children into your family. What have they faced in terms of uh the blending and the, the racial question, acceptance by others? Um how did you and your husband deal with that? And not just your husband and you, but also your, your three kids who are already part of your biological family, uh, adjusting to the whole issue of we're not just bringing people from another country like Russia or Poland, but we're bringing children uh, who have the the great leap of faith of coming into uh, an America that, that is grappling with racial issues. How did you deal with that?
1: Well, we were really I think the really fortunate thing is that we didn't have any um, Prejudice toward any of it. We didn't have any okay. bias toward any of it. So, my husband's a basketball coach. So, we, we always had black kids, white kids in our home anyway, okay. like coming over yeah. for spaghetti dinner. So, that wasn't unusual to us. You know, that, w- that was not a strange thing. And I think, you know, we raised all of our kids to believe that you are beautifully, perfectly made, exactly mm-hmm. the color, exactly the okay. height, everything you're supposed to be that God made you. Yeah. And that there will always be people who don't like you for some reason. It might be your color. It might be your hair. It might be your height. It might be your lack of sports or your prowess mm-hmm. of sport, whatever it might be. And that's not you, that's them. So there are people that you can feel sorry for because they, you know, they're, they're upset. They're angry people. They have their, their, you know, their biases toward people for whatever reason. So was interesting as we raised the kids because on occasion, I can remember one time one of our, you know, well, Austin was heading over to the mission to help with serving some of the homeless people in our community here in Nashville. And, you know, a black guy came out of the shadows and said, I hate you white people. You know, just so angry. And it was like, okay, it goes that way, too. And then there was a time when two of our black sons were at a restaurant in between cities and an older white man was there. And when his wife got up to use the restroom, he looked over at them and called them the N-word. Wow. And that's, you know, both of those cases, it was hugs, conversations, the reality that's not you, that's not what it is. And, and you know, I think the nice thing is all of our kids grew up to love the police. They respect them. They
0: mm-hmm.
1: have, you know, they've never had any problem. Two of our black sons were driving 110 miles an hour accidentally. Um,
0: <laughs> I accidentally but it was, was
1: really accidentally on, on the highway coming home from a Christian camp. <laughs> late at night just got to it and he was like going 80 or 90 i think and saw the lights thought that it was the officer trying to get around him so he sped up to get away you know out of the way <laughs> so clocked at 110 he could have been ta- they both could have been taken in and cuffs yeah. and they were just given a very nice the the white officer was very kind to them so they haven't seen the narrative play out and they see the narrative in the main as being more political than actually accurate to, to some degree i
2: love the story about sean too and like he's- the in
1: in heaven like what oh yeah sean said to me one day when he was really young one of our um adopted kids and he he just said mom what what color skin do you think i'll have when i'm in (laughs) heaven and I said, "Well, Sean, all I can say is I hope it's the same beautiful brown skin you have right now because God chose this, and it's perfect on you. So I hope that's the right color." And he said, "Yes, like me too." He was like six, you know, very young. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, right. But,
1: um, but, precious, yeah. We we just didn't shy away from it. We kept the conversation open. I think our kids are our, our kids are all unanimously very much, you know, against things like the CRT movement that. Once people, once these little innocent children who already feel great about themselves to come in and feel either, you know, oppressed or oppressor, and that is certainly not going to help things. You know, they, our kids right. are like, why would, there's nothing wrong with us? You know, <laughs> why, would, why would anybody want to set that table like that? So I, I think it's been a really exciting, lots of good conversation and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it worked out, it worked out really well.
0: Tyler, it's almost impossible to, to live our lives, especially for a younger person without having a friend or two who will occasionally make the uh, unfortunate remark that indicates prejudice or bias, Uh, whether your friends know or don't know that you have a sister and two brothers who are black. uh, How do you respond when not in the family, because the family has it well put together, but in the world, you run into bias or prejudice. How do you handle that? Um, I think sometimes
2: I'm still learning how to, you know, I think every interaction is different and there's not one answer that fits for everything. Yeah. I think all of our responses should be seasoned with grace. We should be slow to speak and uh, quick to listen. And so I'm also not much of a fighter. <laughs> I, am uh, not confrontational. So I think if someone says something that, you know, but short of them harassing someone and I have to step in, I'm probably going to let, you know, let it be and just pray for them quietly. And, 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 you know, or if, if I'm close enough with them, we'll have a conversation about, well, why do you believe that way? Or why are you you know speaking about that situation or that person that way? I think, you know, it's that, that tension that we're experiencing um, creates a lot of discomfort and we have to be able to, especially as Christians, just be the light. And season our conversations with grace and be be willing to bring everything back to God. And so, you know, God is not a God of confusion. Um, He's a God of clarity. He's a God of peace. Um, He's not a God of division. And so how can we continue to walk together in unity, even in in places where there's misunderstanding um, or even hatred? It's it's about coming um,
0: together. I want to thank Karen and Tyler for being with us. And for our our viewers and listeners, Adventure Awaits is the book, which they have co-written together. Um, For the folks around the world who listen to our show and watch our show, what's the best way to get hold of your writing escapades?
1: The best way is the website, karenkingsbury.com. And that will lead you to any of the retailers or favorite places you might want to get a book.
0: Beautiful. Karen Tyler, you give me such hope. Uh, I love your spirit. I love the way in which you raised your family. Karen, amazing. I guess that husband of yours must be a decent guy, huh?
1: Yeah, he's a great He's wife. awesome.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but thank you for sharing not just your writing, but the spirit that you bring to everything you do. You give all of us great confidence that in the end, uh, we won and, uh, and that God's work is, 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 is ours but he's uh, overarching and, and carrying us through those moments when we can't carry ourselves. Thank you so much for your writing, for your witness, and for being on Personally Speaking. Very, very grateful. As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you need to reach me for any reason, you can get me at podcast at gmail.com. For not only this program, but past programs, go to YouTube and search under Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim And please don't forget to click like and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also available as a podcast on You and get past shows also by going to www.closeencountertv.com or www.ollmp.org where you'll not only get our past episodes of Personally Speaking, but you can watch daily Mass or uh, see Monsignor Jim's homilies. Personally Speaking is also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Gemusanti. We're also now on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. Please share and let others know about Personally Speaking. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.